it's a real privilege for me to get to be here today, to get to bring God's word. Um, it's really special when you walk in and you have brothers that will encourage you. Dave Hunt, the first thing that he said to me is, Mark, I want to encourage you. Don't screw up. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Uh, it's Caddyshack. Um, but I'm very happy to be here. Many great sermons have been preached in this pulpit. Uh, Jeff and Colin labor each week to bring God's word to us uh, in a way that is clear to the mind and real to the heart. And frankly, it's a little bit intimidating to be here. Uh, I sat in Jeff's preaching apprenticeship class, and one of the uh, things that I remember most in the class was a quote from Tim Keller that said, you need to preach about 200 sermons before you're any good at it. Um, so if you're a betting type, take the under on how many sermons you think that I've preached. Um, uh, but we'll get through it. Uh, I know that you guys love me, and I'm certain that I love each of you, so we're going to be just fine. I also know that you didn't come here today to hear from me, that you came to hear from God. So may he uh, give mercy and speak to us today. This summer, we're learning to pray by studying the Psalms. Um, today, we'll learn that sin interferes with our communion with God. Uh, if your heart is heavy with sin, this song shows you the way back to God. This psalm is good news for sinners. This psalm is very personal to me. Uh, in my early 20s, uh, Psalm 51 and the book of Romans rescued my mind and my heart. Uh, my beautiful wife, Julie, and I experienced a tragedy early in our marriage. Um, our first child, Josiah, was born with a fatal heart condition. Uh, he lived with us for two very special days, uh, and then we passed him into the arms of Jesus uh, and know that the Lord has him safely with him forever. But during this time, uh, it was unique. Uh, we all respond to tragedies in different ways. Um, for me, for whatever reason, my mind was flooded with shame for past sins, um, but God used this psalm to restore my sanity, and God used this psalm to show me that Jesus is the, the greatest treasure ever. Um, he showed me that no sin and no person is beyond the reach of his abundant mercy and steadfast love. Uh, those of you who have been praying for me, uh, I recently had back surgery, so I'll be sitting up here today uh, to explain the chair being here. But I'm doing good. I'm feeling much better. Um, but I want to tell you all, thank you for your prayers. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Psalm 51. I didn't prepare slides for it, uh, but someone else did. So that's great. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, I guess we could stop there. The psalm preaches itself. Amen? Um, this is a heavy psalm, but please understand that, that my desire in preaching is that today we leave here with joy and gladness. Um, I, will, I will preach in three parts. There will be three parts of the sermon. Uh, first, we will discuss the reality of sin and how it deeply damages us. I'll be moving around in the psalm rather than going verse by verse I will jump around as uh, uh, David talks about how sin is impacting him. Next, we'll see that David's confidence in God is in God's forgiveness is grounded in much more than his feeling of being forgiven, but it's actually grounded in the, God's character and God's promises. And then third, we will see that the gospel is the way home, the way back to God. So to begin the human condition of, of this passage is revealed in verse 8. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Sin disrupts my ability to enjoy the joy and gladness of my relationship with God. The heaviness of our sin feels like our bones are breaking. Throughout this psalm, uh, David uses the word sin, trespasses, and iniquity at least uh, 12 times in the first 14 verses. Sin's hard to talk about. Um, many of us may have grown up in church and, and, and may have even been uh, manipulated by teaching of sin by well-meaning pastors or parents. Um, I grew up in a denomination that had summer revivals. Uh, this was a time where you would go to church every night, every night, the whole week. And as a little kid, you can imagine that coming in from playing football with your friends, you had to get dressed and go to church every night. But the visiting evangelist would turn red, raise his voice, maybe even scream about uh, sin and hell and damnation. You could even see that the button on his suit was straining to stay closed under the vigor of his preaching. And why was he wearing a suit every night in the summer? Uh, my first altar call experience at six years old was to make sure I said a prayer that would uh, help me escape the, the judgment that I was certain uh, my, my six-year-old heart already had coming. Um, the constant teaching on sin left me afraid and paralyzed in my faith. But just as uh, uh, an overemphasis on sin can be harmful, so can the ignorance of sin be harmful. Sin's easier to talk about if we talk about it being a disorder, an illness, or an addiction. 
But in verse 4, David shows that sin is not a disorder, but it's truly an offense against God. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In order for us to do the real work of, of repentance, we first have to recognize that it's against God whom we've sinned. Uh, certainly, uh, David had sinned against other people at this point, but the starting point of repentance is saying, God, it's against you. You're the one against whom I've sinned. And why do we sin? We sin because we want something else more than we want God. Why would we tell a lie at work? Well, because security and money is, is more important than telling the truth. Um, but David does not pass this off as a mistake or an addiction. He says, it's against you that I sinned. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, parents, did you have to teach your kids to, dis, uh, to disobey? Nope, straight up natural form, right? Uh, David knew that his sin was just not in the moment, but it was something that he was under from the day that he was born. Um, back up to verse 3. For I know my transgression, my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In verse 3, David says, my sin is ever before me. Um, this is when sin, the things that he's done, just rolls over and over and over in his mind. This is where we lose sleep at night, thinking about the things we've done, the people that we hurt, hurt the offense that we've caused towards God. Um, psychologists call this ruminating, um, and this is a very real experience of rolling it over in my mind. I cannot escape my sin. Uh, jump down to verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. To me, this is one of the saddest parts of, of this psalm. Um, this is the psalmist praying, please don't discard me. Please don't give up on me. Sin makes us insecure in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. Uh, then verse 16 shows the helpless feeling that sin causes. Verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifices or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. This is, this is the sinner saying, God, there's nothing I can do. I don't have anything that I can bring to make up for the wrong that I've done. Uh, this, is, too, is a, a desperate place to be of I can't save myself. I can't rid myself of the wrongs that I've done. Sin is a real part of the human condition. Uh, some of us may have experienced exactly what David is talking about in this psalm. In fact, it may be a visceral feeling as you read this and can remember at times feeling this way. Um, others of us may think, well, I'm glad I've never blown it this way to have to feel that way. And, and I'd like to remind you, if that's the position that you're in today, uh, in Luke 8, 9 through 14, Jesus tells a story about a religious guy and a sinner that was sitting in the back of the church. The, the, the religious guy sitting at the front of the church reminded God of all the good things that he was doing and, and even thank God that he wasn't like the sinner at the back of the church. But the sinner at the back of the church couldn't even lift his eyes up, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Jesus said that it was the one who saw himself as a sinner who left justified. Uh, Any of us can destroy our lives at any moment. That's the reality of sin. Um, Consider the context of this psalm. David was an incredible man of God. As a boy, he had slayed the the Philistine champion Goliath by trusting God. Um, As a poet and as a musician, he had led worship, had led the the people of God to experience God in deeper and more profound words, in in, in more profound ways through his words, his writing, and his music. Um, As a warrior, he had protected the people of God. And as a king, uh, uh, Israel had prospered. Israel flourished under his leadership up to this point. But during a season of, commit, of complacency, David committed grotesque sins that would damage his national leadership and tear his family apart. You see, King David was supposed to be off in war with his army, but he stayed home. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us why he stayed home. It just tells us that he was supposed to be out with his army, and, and he didn't go. <clears throat> Instead of being with his um, army, he was resting in leisure at his palace. Late one afternoon, he was uh, taking a walk on the, uh, the rooftop patio, and while he was up there, he saw a beautiful woman, woman bathing. A lust-filled voyeur, he wanted her. He sent men to take her from her home and bring her to him, but this was not just any woman. This was Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uh, Uriah was part of a special forces group known as David's Mighty Men. Uriah was a Gentile who believed in David, and more importantly, he believed in David's God. He was loyal and faithful. When Uriah's wife Bathsheba was brought to David's bedroom, David committed adultery. After he satisfied his lust, she became pregnant. When David heard that she was pregnant, he knew that he had to cover up his sins. So he orchestrated one of the most disgusting and ruthless sins in the Bible. He had his general send Uriah to the front of the um, battle and then said, withdraw our troops from Uriah so that he'll be killed by the enemy. And indeed, that's what happened. This was one of David's friends. This was one of David's faithful allies. And in order to save face and cover his sin, David had him murdered. David thought that he had covered his sin and uh, was going on about life until his faithful pastor, Nathan, confronted him. Uh, Nathan said, David, I know what you've done, and you are the man. And David repented. Uh, When the prophet confronted him, David came to his senses and realized how wrong he was. So who of us here has been called by God a man after my own heart? Uh, and yet this great man fell. That makes me a little weak in my knees to consider that such a great man could commit such heinous sins. But what's even more incredible is the audacity that David had to go to God to confess and repent. Where did he have such confidence to go to God? That's what I want to look at next, David's confidence. Not only was David a king, he was also a prophet. Um, In Psalm 110, David writes, The Lord says to my Lord, 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. David uses the covenant name of God here. When you take a look at Psalm 110 in your Bible, you'll see that uh, the first Lord, the Lord says to my Lord, is in all capitals. In our English Bibles, that all capitals refers to uh, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So David is saying, Yahweh says to my Lord, which is little uh, is big L, little O-R-D, which usually refers to Adonai or Messiah. So in essence, David is saying, Yahweh says to my Messiah, I will make your enemies your footstool. What's even more amazing about what David says here, um, Jesus talks about this psalm in uh, Matthew 22. This is so good. I, I want you to go ahead and turn with me in Matthew, if you've got your Bibles with you. In Matthew 22, verses 41 through uh, 49, or through 46. <clears throat> Once again, Jesus was talking with Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day who hated Jesus and hated his message. Verse 41 of chapter 22. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him the Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day forward did anyone dare to ask him more questions. In this moment, Jesus is unequivocally saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the Messiah who David was talking about in Psalm 110. Um, David's confidence is the gospel. Pretty incredible. Um, so the, the, the final portion of this uh, sermon um, is to show that the gospel is the solution to our problem with sin. Um, if you go back to Psalm 51, in verse 1, David appeals to the mercy of God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Um, in, in the Hebrew, steadfast love is the word hesed. We don't have a, a word in English that is strong enough to convey what that is. So the best we can do is the steadfast love of God um, or uh, the, the love of God that stays. God's love stays. God's love does not depart um, Hesed, or the staying love of God, is the why of the gospel. Um, Hesed invokes the coven, covenantal name of God. Um, if you remember, David, um, excuse me, Abraham uh, was part of a covenant with God. In the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham sat on the side while God pledged himself to be faithful to, to Abraham and to all who would have the uh, faith of Abraham, who would trust God in the same way that Abraham did. The covenantal love of God is a beautiful thing. Um, however, when we're weighted down under the weight of our sin, we could look at the covenantal, covenantal love of God and say, and, and have the idea that maybe God is saying begrudgingly, well, I made a covenant, 
and you've screwed up, but I guess I'll be faithful. But that's not at all. That's not at all what God is saying. In fact, the covenant is not what secures God's love for us. It's the very heart of God that caused the covenant to be in effect in the first place. The love of God is what secures our love. Um, and, and God will not break his covenant because it's his heart to rescue us. God loves sinners. Next, in, in, in 51.1, we see that uh, David appeals to God according to your abundant, abundant mercy. What is abundant? Abundant to you and me might be uh, the spread that we have at, at Thanksgiving. I, I see my mother-in-law and my wife there. It is a spread, and it is abundant when we have our Thanksgiving dinner. But, but what is abundant to God? God describes abundance as the number of seas, the number of grains of sand on the seashore, or the number of stars in the heavens. That's abundant. Uh, his abundant mercy is more expansive than the heavens. Verse 2 Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 2 speaks of being thoroughly washed from sin. This is a clear conscience. This is laying down at night and knowing that deep down in my soul, I'm clean, I'm pure. There's nothing but that stands between God and me. Is your conscience clear today? Do you know this deep, deep sense of being clean? Verse 7 <clears throat> Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. That's how clean our souls are. That's how clean we are because of the mercy of God. Verse 12 uh, speaks to those uh, who know God but have lost the joy of being his. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Christians, believers in Christ, the gospel is for us too. The same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that keeps us. Amen. Uh, David had walked with God for many years when he wrote this psalm, uh, but needed this confession and reminder of the gospel. Are you enjoying the joy of your salvation? Believe the good news again. Believe the good news again. We are loved more than we can imagine. In fact, Paul prayed for the Ephesus believers and said he prayed that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would know how deep and how wide and how long is the love of Christ. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. I will show sinners your way that is what this psalm does. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven uh, doesn't see other sinners as those people out there. Rather, the forgiven are empathetic towards sinners who are hurting. We welcome sinners. Jesus' arms are wide open for sinners. 
Verse 17 shows that the mercy of God allows us to be honest about our sin. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Remember in verse 5 how I talked about uh, our kids didn't have to be taught to disobey us? Well, I can remember distinctly with each one of my three children at different times um, when they came to me upset about something, uh, their head down, and they were broken and contrite for uh, things that they had done, and it broke my heart for them. My heart moved towards them in compassion, and, and I'm imperfect in my love. My love can be fickle. It can be judgmental. It can be inconsistent, but if my imperfect love is moved by a broken and contrite spirit, how much more is God moved by a broken and contrite spirit. He cannot resist it. God moves towards us in our sin. If you have trouble understanding this concept, I highly recommend Dane Ortland's book, uh, 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 Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Jesus for Sinners and Sufferers. It's fantastic and, and a, a great book that talks about the gentle and lowly nature of Jesus. Finally, uh, as this psalm concludes in verse 18 and 19, the psalm shows that the people of God are not good people who are getting better. It shows that the kingdom of God is made up of sinners who have found rest in the Savior and learned to truly worship him in spirit and truth. Joy and gladness reign because Jesus reigns. If you're here today and feel the heavy burden of your sin, hear the good news God does not sweep our sins under the carpet. He acts definitively to deal with our sin. David looked forward to the future Messiah. We look back to what Jesus did on the cross as the Messiah. Um, he paid a real price for our very real sins. When he rose again, we know that sin and death were defeated, and we know that God accepted his payment for us. We are free and that's a real Independence Day. So what is, the gospel? what is the gospel? Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that none of us could ever live. He fulfilled all righteousness. And he gives that life of righteousness to us in exchange for our life of sin. He takes our sin, and he went to the cross where he bore the wrath of God for the sin of mankind. The Bible says that God was satisfied by the death of God on the cross. <clears throat> so King David, as he cried out to God in his sin, it may have looked something like this, Lord, I'm filled with lust, and the Lord says, my love stays. Lord, I committed adultery. David, my love stays. Lord, I destroyed a marriage. David, my love stays. Lord, I had my loyal friend murdered. David, my love stays. Friends, here today, the steadfast love of God stays. His, his mercy is as abundant as the stars in the heavens. Not only are we forgiven, but he assures us that he will be with us as we deal with the consequences of the messes we've made. We reap what we sow. 
Sin has consequences. But when we're living through the consequences of our sin, they're just the consequences. We're still forgiven. We're still loved. Work through it, hoping in the one who gave his life for you. Where are you today? Believe the good news. Be filled with joy and gladness. His love stays. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.